I want to read the first eight verses. I'm going to read the whole psalm. And this is the second longest psalm in the Bible. And it's one of um, three historical psalms. Psalm 105, Psalm 106, and this 78th psalm. And reading this psalm, it has one message. Israel's failure, God's faithfulness. That's the one message. And before I read this psalm, I'd like to uh, read a couple of scriptures that pretty much uh, say the same thing. Psalm 106. This is one of those historical psalms. Verse 6. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. Now turn to Isaiah 43. Verse 21. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise, but thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings. Neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast bought me no sweet cane with money. Neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins." Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgression. Why? For my own sake. There's the reason. For my own sake. And will not remember thy sins. Now back to Psalm 78. And one of the things that you'll notice in these initial verses is he talks about the necessity for our children and our children's children to hear the gospel. Now think of the emphasis of this. Let's read these first eight verses. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come 
the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and in whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Now, he speaks, and I don't want us to miss this, of the importance of our children and our children's children and our children's children's children on down the line hearing the gospel. We want everybody to hear the gospel, don't we? That's our purpose, is to preach the gospel. And we want everybody to hear the gospel. Now, you'll notice when he summarizes that he does not want us to be like our fathers. If we, when we read this psalm, he doesn't have one good thing to say about Israel. Not one. He says, we don't want to be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and in whose spirit was not steadfast with God. That's what he said of this generation. Now here's his purpose, verse 7, that they might set their hope in God. This is what we want for us and for our children, that our hope might be in God and not forget the works of God, his work of salvation, but keep his commandments. Now that's believing the gospel. Keeping his commandments is believing the gospel. Somebody says, well, it's keeping the Ten Commandments. Well, I hope you do, but do you? He's not talking about keeping the Ten Commandments. Now, in the Lord, I have kept the Ten Commandments. And I wouldn't want to sin. But I'm just talking about reality with us. Somebody says, well, I partially keep them. Partial obedience is disobedience. Don't call it anything else. When he's talking about keeping the commandments, he's talking about actually believing the gospel and actually loving God's people. Now, let's go on reading. That's verse 9. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turn back in the day of battle. Now, when he's talking about the children of Ephraim, that's talking about all of Israel. Quite often in the prophetic writings, Israel is called Ephraim. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. They forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He's talking about what took place in the Exodus. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made the waters to stand up as in heap. I love to think of that taking place. Them standing before the Red Sea and the waters part. 
and they walked through as on dry land. And when their enemies attempted to walk through, what happened to them? He brought the sea back on them. Verse 14, in the daytime also he led them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire. Talking about the pillar of cloud that they would follow the day, the pillar of fire at night. He led them. He guided them. Verse 15, he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink. Out of the great depths, he brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers out of this rock. What a beautiful type of the gospel. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, that rock was Christ. When the rock was smitten, water came out. When Christ was smitten, his salvation flows. And I love the uh, next time the Lord told Moses, speak to the rock. Moses didn't speak to the rock, did he? He disobeyed God. He smote the rock twice. The rock had already been smitten. It's never to be smitten twice. Verse 17, after all of this, they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Now, they'd been given manna every day, water from the rock, and they got tired of it. They said, our souls loathe this live bread. We want meat. We want meat. We're tired of this light bread. And that's what happens when people grow weary of the gospel. We're tired of the gospel. It's dry. It's just doctrine. It's not speaking to us. That's what they were saying. Verse 17, and they sin yet more against him by provoking the most high in the wilderness. They tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? We already had. Yea, they spake against God. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock, the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give us bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore, the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. If we know the character of God, if we know it, here's one thing we know. He is trustworthy. Amen? He is trustworthy. And they did not trust him because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation, though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down manna upon them to eat, and given them the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food. He sent meat to them to the full. Now, that manna coming from heaven, what a glorious picture of what faith is. He would bring manna down and they were to gather it that very morning. By noon, it would melt away. And they could only gather enough for that day. 
None for tomorrow, only for that day. Faith is always in the present. Always. I don't look, what would have happened if they would have eaten manna that had been gathered yesterday and saved it? It would breed worms and stink. Faith is always for the present. You're not allowed to save manna for tomorrow. It's always for today. And they would eat every day. And it was miraculous. Man did eat angel's food. And he sent them meat to the fool. Verse 26. He caused an east wind to blow in heaven. And by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained also flesh upon them as dust. And feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. They got up and there were just all kinds of quails. All they could eat. Uh, he gave them what they asked for. And I would say to myself and to you, watch out for what you ask for. Be careful. He let it fall in the midst of the camp round about their habitations, 28. So they did eat and were filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from the less, their lust, but while the meat was yet in their mouth, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this, they sinned still. They sinned still. Now, like I said, there's not one good thing in all of this passage said about the children of Israel. For all of this, they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore, their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him. And they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock and their high and the high God, their redeemer. Nevertheless, even in this seeming appearance of seeking the Lord, nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth. And they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Now, this is talking about all the children of Israel. This is the summary of these people. Their heart was not right. They were not steadfast in the covenant, but, verse 38, but. Here's the difference. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. Now, the scripture that I think of is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake. That's his reason for compassion. That's his reason for grace. For Christ's sake. Now, can I emphasize that too much but that's the same but God who is rich in mercy that's the same but but he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not yea many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath for he remembered that they were but flesh 
you'll notice the word but is in italics. He remembered that they flesh. (laughs) A wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Do you remember when the Lord in the garden of Gethsemane asked the disciples, pray with me. Pray with me. He knew he was getting ready to go to the cross. He wanted the encouragement of his disciples. And he said, pray with me. And he comes back after he had prayed to the Father, and they were all asleep. Sound like anybody you know? And he goes and prays again and comes back, and they were sleeping again. And he said, sleep on now. The spirit is willing, and the flesh is weak. And you know that about yourself, don't you? The flesh is weak. And I love that uh, scripture in Psalm 103, verse 14. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we're dust. And that's what's being said in this passage of scripture. Verse 40, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Do not think for one second that the sins you and I commit, God is indifferent toward them. And we read of grieving the Holy Spirit. And quenching the spirit. And while it's true that um, I stand before God without guilt. Perfectly righteous before his law. It's also true that my sin and your sin. He's not indifferent. It it grieves him. Somebody says explain that to me. I can't. (laughs) But how how can I be just before God and yet my sin grieve him? Be sure it does. We wouldn't have scriptures like grieve not the Holy Spirit if that were not the case. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back. That's the summary of the children of Israel. They turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now what in the world does that mean? They limited the Holy One of Israel. The word limited is the word grieved. This is not saying, and this is the way most people look at this passage of Scripture. I don't know why the translators translated limited. Most people say we limit God's blessings by our disobedience. Now, I guess there's a sense in which that's true. But you can't limit God. God's all-powerful. Your unbelief is not going to frustrate His purposes. It's just not going to happen. God's will shall be done. But, oh, may the Lord give us the grace to not sin. These things write unto you that you sin not. I think of David. The scripture says the thing David did, David was a child of God. The thing David did displeased the Lord. Talking about that thing of Bathsheba and Uriah. 
the thing David did displeased the Lord. Verse 42, they remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from their enemy. Oh, they forget so quickly how he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. That's talking about the Exodus. And now he talks about the uh, plagues that he sent Egypt. He turned their rivers into blood. And their floods that they could not drink. He sent diverse sorts of flies among them which devoured them. Can you imagine? Oh, I hate house flies. I, you know, you think, can you imagine just swarms covering you? Well, they had that. The frogs which destroyed them. I mean, when they go to cook, there would be frogs in their ovens everywhere, they, in their beds. He sent frogs which destroyed them. He gave also their increase unto the caterpillar and their labor unto the locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. This is talking about what happened to the Egyptians in the ten plagues. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to pestilence and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength and the tabernacles of Ham. But he made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Don't you love the buts of Scripture? But he made his own people. Hold your finger there and turn to Exodus 11 for just a moment. Verse 5, And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant, it's behind the mill and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it anymore. But, there's that but, but, against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast that you may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. I mean, we read of Israel's history. Were they morally better in and of themselves than Egypt? They weren't, were they? Now, this is the scriptural testimony. All he talks about is how they never, all they did was turn back. All they did, but, here's the difference, but God. He made a difference. And if I am a believer, it's because God has made a difference with me. Let's go on reading. He, verse 53, he led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which is right-handed purchase. This is talking about Mount Sinai, where they were given the law. He cast out the heathen also before them and divided them in inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. This is talking about Joshua bringing them into the promised land. 
casting out the heathen to bring them there. Yet, verse 56, yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not his testimonies, but turned back. There we have that again. But turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. For they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. Now what did Israel continually do? They were continually going back to idolatry. False images. False ideas of God. Over and over and over again. How, how much trouble did they have with Baal worship? I love the way that while David was king, Baal's not as much as mentioned. <laughs> but with every other king, the continual struggle with Baal worship. Verse 59. When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men with the holy and the holy of holies and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the place where the priest would go in with the blood. God forsook that. And he delivered his strength into captivity and, by, and his glory into the enemy's hand. This is talking about them being given over to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed them. He gave his, verse 62, he gave his people over also into the sword and was wroth with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. Couldn't be much worse than that, could it? Verse 65, then the Lord awaked as one out of sleep, and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine, he smote his enemies in the hinder parts, hinder parts, however you pronounce it. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah. Who did Christ come from? Judah. He chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved, the church. And he built his sanctuary. You know, the Lord said, I'll build my church. Aren't you thankful for that? You know, when people uh, go to plant a church, they say, I'm a church planter. Oh, okay. He builds his church. He built his sanctuary like high places. Like the earth which he had established forever, he chose David also, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. He was just a 17-year-old shepherd. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart. And guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. His continual faithfulness. Now, like I said, you read this psalm, and there's only one conclusion you can come from this. 
you can get from this. Israel's constant unfaithfulness, turning back and failures, and his faithfulness for his namesake, for Christ's sake. I know why that's the case. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. I want to be faithful to the Lord. But when I read this, I read my history, don't you? Thank God for His grace for Christ's sake.